0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the inaugural edition of Food for Thought, a series of interviews NWAVE is conducting with a variety of business leaders in the food industry, covering everything from consumer packaged goods to supply chains to product development. The focus of Food for Thought is how we can rethink food in a post-COVID-19 world. We're really excited today to speak with Seth Goldman, founder of Eat the Change and Plant Burger. Eat the Change is launching businesses that make climate-friendly foods delicious, fun, and accessible, such as the case with their first business, Plant Burger, in Silver Spring, Maryland. Seth also serves as chairman of the board at Beyond Meat, and prior to this, he co-founded Honest Tea, a company he later sold to Coca-Cola. Seth, welcome to Food for Thought, and thanks for being here.
1: Sure, Mike. Good to be with you.
0: So maybe, uh, maybe you can introduce our viewers across Canada um, and the US that, that aren't familiar with Eat the Change and you know, just a little bit about its inception of whether you started sure. or what your premise was.
1: Sure. Just a little bit about my background. I've been working in the food business now for more than two decades. I started a company called Honest Tea, which is now available in both Canada and the United States um, 20 years ago out of my house or 22 years ago. And then I evolved uh, uh, and became part of uh, a company called Beyond Meat, uh, which has grown quickly and is also widely available in Canada and the US. And I'm now chair of the board of Beyond Meat. And just at the beginning of this year, I uh, launched this new enterprise, or really a new platform called Eat the Change. And so uh, once again, starting small like the other businesses did, we're uh, recognizing that the single biggest impact anybody can have on the planet uh, and on climate is what they decide to put in their body. And uh, its impact on uh, landscape, on the climate, on obviously the, the uh, creatures on the planet is driven by what they put at the center of their plate. And so we're trying to both uh, encourage people to move towards more planet-friendly options, but also to provide those options. And so Plant Burger, uh, as you mentioned, is a, uh, a first business that's up and running. And it's a, a plant-based restaurant. It is... Um, the first two locations are housed inside of Whole Foods grocery stores, uh, and they are entirely plant-based. We serve burgers and fries and drinks. And uh, our latest sandwich that we just launched last month is... A, it's actually it's called the crispy chicken fungi. It's based on a, what would normally be food waste. It's the, the uh, what's called the fruiting body of a mushroom. And so these are oyster mushrooms that normally get uh, used as uh, put into compost as waste and we've taken them and made it into a delicious sandwich and uh, so it's been a fun business to build um, we also as part of eat the change just launched a grants program and this is a, um, supporting nonprofit organizations that are uh, helping consumers understand the impact of their diets on the climate and helping them move towards more planet friendly options and uh, we're giving away a million dollars over the next three years
0: we're chatting right now uh, amidst a challenging time with, with COVID nineteen, and there's a lot of businesses. You know, some hunkering down, some are pivoting, uh, some are lucky enough for for their products to be having record uh, quarters in grocery stores. How do you kind of see this affecting the the overall um, food industry and supply chains? Obviously, we've seen a big push to you know globalization in the last ten years, but we're starting to maybe see a little bit more emphasis on. How do we need to change that to to create a more sustainable food environment?
1: Yeah, it is. It's a very challenging moment, and I think every business has got uh, the, the the has to take the moment to sort of assess and understand how can they make sure they're relevant going forward. So, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of questions being raised about these meat production facilities. We're seeing a lot of concerns around safety and health of the workers uh, and health of the consumers as well. Um, But I also think there's a chance for consumers to reassess. You know, I think uh, there wasn't quite that... It would have been harder to convince consumers that we're all connected in the planet, that the decisions they make have an impact elsewhere. But I think what this virus has shown that, you know, what can happen in a market in China has an impact here. And so it's harder to deny we're all connected and our decisions all have impact.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So when when you're looking at building the businesses under uh, Eat the Change, do you kind of focus on the plate first and then work backwards to the consumer, or do you say, you know, these are you know we want to focus on organic agriculture and different um, products, and then say how can we bring that to people that might not understand? Do you kind of go from the macro to the micro, or do you look you start from the consumer and go out?
1: Well, we looked at the impact first, and that's why Project Drawdown was one of the first organizations we we donated to because. They rank uh, the solutions for a cooler planet, and uh, their top ranked uh, solution under uh, their two were food waste and plant-based foods were the top two. But there were others as well. Mo- you know, how do we move to a more um, what we translate to as organic agriculture, but a, an organic agricultural system that places more emphasis on soil health uh, and, and water conservation. And so, for us, that organic was a good proxy for that. But we looked at impact. And then we think about how do we make sure there's foods available that connect to those causes. Mm-hmm.
0: So on the food waste, that's something that, that's a very, um, you know, um, covered topic right now in the news. Obviously, a lot of that is food service, um, you know, cruise ships, all of these demands effectively gone to zero. But do you think that this is a, a, an oversupply problem? Do you think that this will will go, I mean, there's still a lot of staggering statistics that even with food service demand, there's still a lot of food waste. Do you think this is, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the businesses themselves finding more innovative ways to um, get rid of waste products? Is it consumerism just, you know, stocking pantries with, with more goods than they need? Is it a matter of, you know, coming up with, you know, dehydrated solutions? It, where do you see the most impact being made on food waste?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think this is, you know, I don't think we it's I think it's really a distribution challenge, you know, that certain food producers had produced uh for, for distribution in food service. And when that channel basically um got decimated, there was just a lot of product that wasn't able to be ready uh converted to retail that quickly. Um so that's that is a, a misallocation, but it doesn't mean that our food system on its own is inherently wasteful, but it is the way that it's used. And so I think one of the positive outcomes you're seeing is uh, people are in some kinds out of necessity having to use all of the foods they've stocked in their pantries uh, because economic reasons or they, they try not to go to the store as much. So I actually think we have the chance to create some healthier um, food waste habits here, or at least I hope that's the case. Um, and I think there are also you know, going to be a desire to make sure packaging now is, uh, can hold up better. How do we avoid less food waste? And I think both for economic reasons and, and for just safety reasons, people are uh, incentivized now to, to be more mindful of avoiding food waste. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: we had a guest on, on our show yesterday uh, who has an a organic bean company in Canada. And he was saying they have a, a sustainable packaging that is fully compostable, um, but he was saying that, the, that it's a matter of educating the municipalities on what to do with some of these packaging because mm-hmm. they're so new that they're unsure of what they, what they do with it. And he went, you know, it was kind of one of those things that you wouldn't think that by being really innovative and, and trying to be sustainable, there would still be challenges, but he said, it's actually been quite a, a, a challenge for their business, but they're on the leading edge of, of bringing and educating the consumer on these types of packaging.
1: Yeah, no, that's a real challenge. You know, the, the, sometimes innovations come to market, and there's not the infrastructure in place to to bring those mark those innovations to life. So, compostable packaging, unless there's commercial composting facilities that are part of the waste stream, it's it it's it's an incomplete solution. Uh, and you know, some of the compostable, I've, you know, coming from the beverage industry, there were folks bringing out compostable bottles. Well, it's a neat idea, but when someone takes a compostable bottle and puts it in a Uh, recycling stream it actually contaminates the waste stream so um, there is a challenge in bringing these things as an end-to-end solution Um, it is you really do need the government to play a role the municipalities to play a role Uh, the US is especially challenged because we literally have different recycling policies municipality by municipality and so it's almost impossible to implement a national recycling solution. When I was launching Honest Tea in Germany, I was so impressed to see there the government, the federal government had a one policy. And so the recapture rates were over 95%, um, which of course is really impressive. And when you get to that level of recapture, then you really are making an impact.
0: Absolutely. Um, so, obviously, with COVID right now, you know, there's a lot of uh, negative things happening in in people's lives, but it has shone a light on on food. I think a lot of people are, you know, traditionally we've been in this go 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 society where when they go to the grocery store, you know, it's it's grab whatever you can. But now people are taking a little bit more time to, to try products, to read the the ingredients on the back of um, you know the granola bar that they're eating or whatever it might be. Do you think that this this overall, from a food perspective, in the long term, of especially with the the impact that Eat the Change is trying to have of educating the consumer more on what they're putting in their bodies, and you know people understanding what eating for immunity means and, and things of that nature, um, what do you what do you think the outcomes can be of creating a more educated consumer?
1: Well, I hope that um, this leads to more thoughtful approaches to food. It certainly you know we've already seen some response about these live these wet animal markets and and so that's one positive step um and i I think uh you know here too, as we start to look at what's happening in these meat processing facilities, I hope some consumers will is, do a little more thinking about what actually happens in those facilities um because it certainly sounds uh, like you know, obviously the government has raised concerns about that so I think any time we can create um, more mindfulness among the consumer uh, about what they're eating, how it's brought to them, where it comes from, what's involved in that supply chain, that's a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so on a macro level with with plant based diets, let's just say focus on north america um, you you're the chair of the board at beyond meat you you've seen the progression. Is there anything that surprised you just in terms of the adoption of how quick plant-based mm. diets are, are, are being adopted and what are kind of the, the next evolutions of that um, as you just, you know, not not specifically to Beyond Meat, but just yeah. plant in general?
1: Well, I am surprised and, and delighted to see how quickly um, it has been adopted. And what, what, um, what I hoped is happening is happening, which is, of course, it'd be nice if there were more vegans and vegetarians out there, but that's not... Um, the way I think about how change happens, I think about there being more flexitarians. I think about more people being willing to include plant-based foods into their diet. And that that's happening especially quickly. So we're seeing grocery stores put plant-based meat in the meat section. And it's funny, the, the local grocery store where I shop, I was just there yesterday, there's so much turnover happening in that store that these things are now everywhere. Like it's, It used to be they had a plant-based meat section, but they're just trying to keep the shock, the shelf stock. So I found Beyond Meat and mixed in with a bunch of other uh, animal-based products. And like at this point, they're just putting it on the shelf and recognizing that it's part of a continuum. So that's been really fun to see. And I think the next step is something we we're seeing. It was just announced yesterday by Beyond Meat, um, where they're going to be launching in the Starbucks in China. And so seeing these products both internationally, but also in venues and in restaurants that are much more mainstream. So uh, yes, it's wonderful when these are available to uh, you know vegans who want them, but it's also wonderful when they're available to everyday consumers who are just looking for delicious food. And that's the next level of penetration and, and growth for, for this whole movement.
0: Mm-hmm. So on that notion of, you know, there's, there's, how do we go about from a, a societal perspective of making nutritious food um, just of all kinds more accessible to um, Canadians and Americans in terms of, you know, obviously there's there's going to be this big push for plant-based, but is it a matter of there's, uh, you know, there's too much slack in the supply chain or intermediaries that are, you know, is it more a, a direct, uh, you know, farm-to-fork model? Is it just a matter of... Um, you know, educating the consumer uh, on on the products that they're eating, and and maybe them realizing that you know, on, on a on a cost per cost basis, going for uh, you know a plant based meal versus something that's heavy um, on meat, or whether it's you know food that comes out of a box that typically is a little bit more accessible from a supply from a price point perspective, but isn't necessarily you know the most healthy. Do you have any ideas or, or ways that? that Eat the Change looks at making nutritious food accessible for everyone, not just those that can afford it?
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, um, there's nothing about the plant-based food offerings that um, require them to be more expensive. You know, sometimes scale is, drives that because they're smaller businesses and the supply chain isn't scaled up. But by definition, you know, and, and you can look at an example like the Beyond Burger, which uses 99% less water, 93% less land. To make its product, that's a product that will ultimately be less expensive than its animal based analog. So I think the challenge is get scale to these businesses and then create great brands and packaging and and make them delicious uh, in terms of the formulation. And, you know, there's always that balance of, of course, we want everything to be healthy, but we also want to be competitive with what's out there. And so, you know, I've looked at, uh, as an example, I've tasted burgers that have no fat in them. And they taste what you'd expect them to taste like, like a hockey puck. So, or as, as Stephen Colbert t- said, a bar coaster soaked in MSG. Um, so, you know, we've got to recognize we, if we're going to be competitive with a competitive set, we have to, we have to satisfy the the culinary demands of the consumer. And so um, that's, that's just a reality of, of, of these businesses. And so, yes, we can move people towards healthier and sustainable diets, but, we can't take them from where they are to a much further po- point, uh, at least not in one step.
0: Mm-hmm. One, one interesting thing that you're starting to see now with, with companies of all kinds, whether they were an animal protein producer or um, a different food company, they're focusing on being protein companies as opposed to yeah. meat companies or yep. poultry companies. Has that shift surprised you at all? Because you've obviously no, seen
1: this no. From macro. No, I saw it happening. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we see our, um, when we look at protein, um, it's a continuum. And so there's animal protein, but plant protein is part of that. And so it's only logical that when a large company, uh, like an existing meat company, feels threatened, they want to be able to evolve and be relevant. And if they, if they were stuck in just the animal based side of the protein model, and they, they, they would be looking at the growth happening in plant based and say, you know we're missing out, uh, and we're going to become, you know, an, an outdated industry if we don't evolve. Mm-hmm. So, for, for for those that might not know,
0: um, you know, when they hear plant based proteins, what are those sources of proteins, and are they coming from? Are they coming from Canada and the United States? Are they yeah. like, imported from from elsewhere?
1: Yeah. Well, um, we look at Beyond Meat. The main ingredients are pea protein. A lot of that is grown in Canada. Uh, it's, a uh, you know, uh, Canadian yellow pea. in fact is, is the specific, um, name of the, of the, of the pea. but there's also obviously soy is, is a rich source of, um, protein, but then there's other things like rice protein, mung bean protein, sunflower protein, almost every, um, plant has some protein in it. And so it's just a protein level that how do we extract that and make it, um, you know, in a form that doesn't have an off taste. Uh, of course, all the nuts have some levels of protein as well. Um, and so there's there's plentiful um, sources of plant-based protein. Mm-hmm.
0: What would you you know what might you say to the, a consumer that's contemplating that you know that isn't overly familiar with a plant-based diet and and you know currently maybe eats a lot of meat or they're they are a yeah. flexitarian but you know are there any you know statistics that you might might give or just perspective on you know you had mentioned that it's it's more about you know, creating sensible food choices and, and, and flexitarian options. Um, how, how do you kind of bridge that gap for those that are evaluating?
1: Well, the first thing to do is to get them to try the product because it demystifies it right away. When you can go into Dunkin' Donuts and have a um, breakfast sausage patty that looks, tastes, and is actually the same price as the animal based product. Um, that's a very easy step to take. And when it tastes delicious, you realize, all right, this is easy to do. And of course, you know, throughout Canada now, um, you'll see almost every major chain has some kind of plant-based uh, protein. So the first thing is to get them to taste it. After that, you know, it all gets easier because they realize the taste is great. Um, they know the health benefits are better. They, they may not be totally familiar with the environmental uh, benefits, but it's easy to communicate those. And, uh, and then, of course, if you get further down the line, um, you know, you actually, I get to the point where I say, okay, if we have a product that tastes as good or better, has superior nutritional properties, uh, better environmental story, and the cost is ultimately going to be lower, I actually wonder, uh, I can see a day where people are going to say, well, why do I need to have an animal-based product? What, what's the point of that? Because I don't think people have an intrinsic need to kill animals to satisfy their dietary or nutritional choices.
0: Right, right. Um, what about from uh, the plant based side? of? So, we, you know, the consumer is often aware of, of the patties and the sausages. What's sort of the next evolution of product development within plant based? Are we going to see it in bars or in, uh, you know, where do you see it moving from there?
1: Yeah, I mean, plant based bars already exist. There's plant based dairy, obviously, lots of different forms of milk. Uh, some yogurts, some cheese, some egg substitutes, but I think it's going to be every aspect. So you're you're starting to see now some some interesting developments with plant-based chicken substitutes. Of course, you know plant-based pork substitutes. Um, so it really, but the biggest categories in meat are you know the cow, the pig, and the chicken. So I think that's where there's still a lot of uh, growth going to be happening. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, shifting back to more of the agricultural side. Um, do you see much of a a future on a, on a commercial scale for, uh, vertical farming, hydroponics, aquaponics, you know, different types of.
1: I think there's some, I think there will be some, I, um, frankly, you know, everything I read says there is enough, there's plenty of farmland out there. Um, and so, you know, farming can be, and I like to think should be a, a positive way to, to, um, do, do something with the soil it's certainly better than putting concrete on it so i'd love to see farmland continue to be used I, i'm not a huge fan and I, of course being coming from the organic foods world with honesty i'm not a fan of um setting up that much hydroponic farming and if it can be water efficient and that said look i don't think you should be growing um certain crops in certain climates where they're not appropriate but you know to be able to grow uh, Peas in Canada, where they there's a naturally uh, can thrive. That's that's what soil should be doing. You know, uh, peas are a nitrogen fixing crop, so they actually are pulling nitrogen out of you know and fixing it uh, and and sort of taking it out of our um, ecosystem in a positive way. So um, we need plants and farmland to, to, to be the lungs of the earth uh, and help keep our, our air and soil healthy and and to capture water. So. Um, I have, uh, I'd say mixed feelings. Someone will, you know, um, certainly large scale crops. I don't think make sense to grow indoors there may maybe certain specialty crops that may make sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, shifting back to the retail side, you know, you, you mentioned going into the grocery store and, 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 observing the plant-based meat and the meat section. We've obviously had a big shift now with, you know, the last five years, the retailers have made a big push into making, the grocery shopping experience as seamless as possible. Um, now we've kind of had this immediate, you know, abrupt uh, change where we have glass barriers between yeah. cashiers and the customer. Are, are you worried at all about uh, how that the experience will change and, and more people going, you know, direct to delivery and, and it being a less personal model where they're just, you know, clicking and dropping things into their basket and not focusing, you know, when you, when you're walking down the aisle, it's easy for you to pick up something, look at, the, right. back of it, look at the packaging. Does it worry you at all? Or are you optimistic that, you know, humanity will, will ultimately prevail? We're just in a tough time.
1: No, it's already changed, right? I mean, people are going to the store less and uh, they're adapting habits and those habits are going to stick. So yes, you're going to see less people in store. And as a result, you're going to see less um, sampling of products and less sampling means less trial. And so we've got to think about as a marketer, how do you get people to try new things? Um, they're certainly going to be less inclined to walk by and take something to eat that's kind of in the open air and someone's sort of you know, been breathing on. Um, they're just, that's going to, there's going to be a long time before that, re- if it does return, before it returns. So I, I know grocery stores are already rethinking their models. I mean, they're seeing a ton of activity right now, but even more so, what's going to happen to restaurants, right? Um, I was just reading about restaurants that have been trying to reopen in Hong Kong. And so, you know, they're checking the temperature of people. They're making people sit far apart. I mean, a lot of what people enjoy about restaurants is the chance to, uh, or bars is to associate with you know other people and meet them. And, and we're going to, it's going to be a long time before that kind of thing happens. So what restaurants are doing now is thinking about how do we make a to go experience more evocative? How do you create a, Mm-hmm. A feeling of place in a to-go experience. Um, so there is going to be a lot of changes. And I, I think anybody who is relying on a business plan that they wrote in January of 2020 um, is destined to have failure because they're, they'll be applying a business plan to a world that no longer exists.
0: Absolutely, I, I think it's definitely going to be a new new normal. Um, on on that note, obviously, you you started Honest Tea, I believe, while you were uh, in graduate school at the time, and, and talking about you know entrepreneurship now and how quickly things can change. What might you 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 say to to smaller companies that are bringing whether it's a CPG product to market or a food business of any kind, you know, just from from your experience with with multiple sizes of businesses mm-hmm. and scaling what messaging might you leave them with right now where they're struggling, whether it's from yeah. a cash flow perspective or ideation?
1: Yeah. So I actually, um, the ideas for honesty were developed in business school, but I didn't launch it until a few years afterward. But I, I did, um, over the course of the time, you know, we launched in 1998. And so right when we were getting started, there was the dot-com boom and then the dot-com bust, uh, through 9-11. And then we went through the great recession and with each of these, um, Crises. I'm reminded of, uh, you know, I spent a year after college in China, and the Chinese character for the for crisis is formed of two different elements. One of, the, one of the elements is the word danger, and one of the elements is the word opportunity. And so uh, that's what the crisis is there's danger, real danger, there's a health danger, there's economic danger, uh, but there's also opportunity. And so I would encourage any entrepreneur who is experiencing The danger is also think about where the opportunity is. Think about what shifts. And the fact is that entrepreneurs are able to make those shifts happen and adjustments more quickly than the big companies. And there's big companies, you know, major big companies that are going to go out of business. You know, some already have, um, or there's whole industries that are going to become, if not irrelevant, totally changed. And it's very um, easy to see scenarios where an enterprise could, recapture or take away um what was a legacy business and so think about how those um pivots can be made and and make them because um like i say if you're relying on a business plan that was you know made sense in 2020 it, it probably does not make sense today.
0: Mhm. Um i want to be respectful of your time so i think we only have time for a few more questions seth but um on the innovation side as it relates to the food industry, do you see a lot of the innovation coming from the large CPG giants that have lots of R&D dollars to spend? Or do you see it coming from grassroots entrepreneurs and building something up and then them, potentially getting acquired? Where do you see it? Because on the entrepreneur side, you've got uh, really adaptable, bright minds, but they might not have the capital. And on on the CPG side, you've got big budgets, but there's the rigidity of working with thousands of employees. How do you see that relationship going
1: forward? Yeah, I think all the creativity is coming from the entrepreneurs. The big companies just don't think that way. They, they aren't um, as connected to the consumer. They aren't as able to be as nimble and flexible in their thinking. So what they usually do is think about their existing business model and how can they offer something that is, fits their existing business model. Maybe it's a slightly different flavor, or different packaging format, maybe a slightly different ingredient. And the entrepreneur comes at it from a di- totally different perspective, which is, what's something I'm either hungry or thirsty for, um, you know, where have I seen, where would I bring it, and, and how would I make that exciting and relevant to people. And so those are two very different approaches. And so uh, uh, there are you know, a lot of entrepreneurs building things that will be acquired by big companies, but there aren't many big companies that are bringing totally new ideas to market. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, in, any final thoughts to, to leave people with that are, you know, just in general, we're obviously, uh, in a big period of, of change and uncertainty, yeah. um, any final thoughts?
1: Yeah, I'll say that I've never, um, as challenging as this moment is, it's also really exciting because there's never been a chance for entrepreneurs to so fundamentally, um, change the way people eat. And so it's just take, it takes that creat- creativity for sure. It takes a lot of determination and drive, but um, this is a moment where there things are changing and will change. And and uh, the chairman of Coca Cola used to say, "A crisis is a terrible thing to waste." Let's you know, so so figure out. Don't let this moment go by um, without understanding that how you can capture some of it.
0: Great words to leave. So, want to thank you, Seth, for taking the time to to speak with us today. I know you're a busy man. Really appreciate it. And uh, stay safe and when the travel bans are lifted, I look I look forward to trying flat burger.
1: Okay, take care, Mike. Good to be with you.
0: Thanks, Seth. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Bye.